Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. And Mr. Kelly, before you slip away. Yes. uh, I see you have a hockey hat on so that means hockey's kind of cold ice and all that mm-hmm. other stuff mm-hmm. well how come you've got a coat in here you're saying this place is so cold you have to wear a coat it is very cold and you have to wear a coat yes and it's really nice though when it's warm out because you walk outside and the warmth is just amazing with your coat on <laughs> oh no you take the you, i leave the Gee. coat here on weekends oh, do you? yes because it is it's brutal i'm surprised that somebody's in the ice can't handle the air conditioning well you know i wear i wear a, a Jersey, or as we call it in hockey parlance, a sweater when I go to the games, and they keep you warm. (laughs) Just curious. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're welcome. And folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. Questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex is here. He'll be taking your name and where you're calling from only. He doesn't need to know what you're calling about or anything else. You can tell him hi. I mean, he doesn't mind that. But beyond that, uh, no long explanations because he doesn't know anything about plants. He knows a lot about electronics and big boards and all that other stuff. But plant-wise, so his son had a birthday this past uh, week. Well, actually, it was a little while ago. But they celebrated this past weekend. That's why he wasn't here. So I gave his son for a birthday present organically growing fruit trees because I wanted he's only two years old, but I wanted him to get an early start on growing fruit trees, apples, pears, peaches, plums. Anyway, we get together, have a roundtable discussion and on what's impacting your backyard, what's going on. What's that side yard? Why is it always so soggy and wet? Well, your downspouts might have something to do with that. Front yard, specialty garden space, a taste of the tropics meaning houseplants, potting mixes versus potting soils, improving your soil, shearing and pruning, removal of bugs and diseases, using information, well, to make good decisions. My thoughts are orchestrations hopefully will open or solidify options with the final judgment being made by you. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Again, another important player is Alex, and he's producing back this week. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home. I call it a walk and talk, and I address questions that you may have and also keep my eyes open for things that might be impacting your landscape that uh, maybe you hadn't thought of. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, homepage, my email address and phone number. That's where I can be reached. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. 
And uh, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Ah, as I was driving, heading towards, from South City, towards KMOX, I thought, hmm, where am I going to stop today? I thought, hmm, how about Mississippi and Geyer? Just uh, with 44, just north of that. Well, there's a garden there that's maintained by McKinley Heights neighborhood. McKinley Heights, meaning McKinley High School, is very close by. And it is in memory of Greg Johnston. When I stepped out of the car, man, the crickets were just going crazy. They were singing songs. I guess they were hoping it was going to rain because they're a little thirsty. But it looks like the rain is at least not going to come right now. This garden space is uh, encircled or embraced by a wrought iron fence. Runs all the way to the alley where recently pruned burning bush, boxwood, and are looking very good. Whoever pruned them did a pretty darn good job. Must have had a very sharp, you know, I don't know what kind of pruner they had, but uh, the cuts, they weren't frayed at all. And that's what you should expect. There's quite a few uh, pink surprise lilies that are in bloom right now. The lawn had been recently mowed, and uh, the lawn bed space moves around and braces uh, bed space. There's an arbor there with a super long wooden bench. There's a couple knockout roses, pinks and reds, which uh, add some visual spice. Trees in this garden space include maples, Norway spruce, Japanese maple, dogwood flowering pear, some of the perennials and ground covers, and shrubs, uh, and these nicely mulched beds weave through, well, f- blooming right now, sedum autumn joy. That's one of the sedums. It's not the classic-looking sedum and elongates and everything else, but it does bloom this time of year. Daylilies are finished. Peonies are finished, and they're ready for sleep. There's a patch right on the corner of Guyer, Mississippi, of Liriope. Man, it really looks good, very vibrant, emerald green color. Lamb's ear. At the base of a street light. Really? How'd they get that lamb's ear in there? Anyway, there's also other clumps of lamb's ear that jumps through the fence. Upuntia cactus. And, uh, yes, there's some of that along the sidewalk as well. There's hostas humming underneath a sweet gum tree. Black-eyed Susans call hooray. There's some blue willow shrubs. Really, you don't see those too often, but they really look pretty good. And then bouncing along with viburnums and spirea as well. The flowering cherries, which are street trees right there, weave or they wave goodbye as I head towards KMOX. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I see Mr. Kelly's got to put his coat on. You wimp. <laughs> I think it's an experiment. They're trying to see how long-term exposure to cold affects the human body. <laughs> They're trying to freeze us in time. Let's hope it slows the aging process. Uh, again, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if it isn't going to rain today, which I don't know if it is or not, uh, hopefully you've been watering because it has been dry. We had that really soaking wet 
spring and early summer. And, I mean, we've had some rain, yes. But if you go out and look at um, a lot of your landscape or try to probe down, you're going to find the ground is really dry. So you got to water for extended periods of time, not 10 minutes in the morning, seven days a week. That does absolutely nothing except increase the humidity around your house. So probably initially, if you haven't watered for a while, you should water for maybe a half hour and then move it to a different area or go back, turn it off, and then go back a, you know, a couple hours later and water so you can get the water to actually not just run off the top because when the ground is really dry, it's just going to run off. You want it to soak down in. You want it to soak pretty darn deep. Ideally, you would get it to four inches plus deep into the ground because that's where all the main feeder roots of trees, lawns, and perennials and pretty much everything is located there. In a top quarter inch or inch or so of the soil, that really doesn't help anything at all. So let's go to the phones. Let's go to West County and go into Joe's house. Hi, Joe. Hey, good morning, Mike. I have a really bad problem with deer. I've been trying to uh, grow some tulip poplars. I've got a couple of them that's about the size of my thumb and about six and a half feet tall. But the deer forage uh, the uh, the leaves and, uh, and the, the buds on them. Um, I've tried this liquid fence deer and rabbit repellent to, mm-hmm. to no avail. Um, my dad was a, fr- a commercial fruit grower and used tankage on his new plantings in the, in the orchard uh, and he used uh, well this uh, can you tell me where I might be able to get some tankage like maybe a farm bureau or farmers exchange or something like that well I don't know specifically but uh, what you could do is there's a company called Hummerts International they're in Earth City you might contact them and if they don't have it you know themselves uh, they may be able to tell you where to head to and that name again, uh, could you spell H-U-M-M-E-R-T-S, it for me? H-U-M-M-E-R-T-S, Hummerts International. They're a horticultural company worldwide. They have a catalog that's probably, I don't know, multiple hundreds of pages. So they may have the product that you're looking for. Okay, Mike, I'll give that a try. Thank you so much. Certainly. Yeah, and also you might try hanging bars of uh, Irish Spring Soap and see if that might help. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... Whatever works. Yeah, okay. exactly. I mean, I, <laughs> some people swear by it. it I mean, Irish Spring soap is a little bit pungent for sure. So the deer smell it, and they can smell it quite a distance away, and it kind of burns their nose and burns their eyes, and that kind of keeps them around. So you would probably want to put something around your trees, maybe four or five or six feet around from it, and then hang the Irish Spring soap from, like, fence posts or something along that line. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, this um, liquid fence uh, deer and rabbit repellent makes that claim that it burns their eyes. And, right. And the, uh, but uh, like I said, it's uh, I haven't any had any results with it. Yeah, that's a bummer. Well, I uh, I'll give these two suggestions a shot here and see how it goes. All right. Good luck. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. And another thing is you could always sell your whole, your house in West County. Move into the city. There's no deer problems. <laughs> Let's go now to uh, Bob, and he's his garden or his lawn or his landscape is in St. Louis County. Hi, Bob. Yeah, Mike, thank you for your show. Uh, I'd like to plant some grass seed. I want a wide-bladed, stiff-bladed, tough grass seed. 
Well, if you don't mind how it technically looks, look at K31 fescue. K31 fescue. Right. Not is a blend. The only one? This is going to be just a pure K31. It is really a tough, rough grass. All right, then. Thank you. Certainly. Good luck with uh-huh. that. Right. And make sure you get the soil prepared and everything. You know, top dressing first, then put the seed down, and then a seed starter type fertilizer, or you can change a combination on how you want to do it. But make sure, and it would help if you core aerated first, or at least dethatched, so you can get the grass seed in contact with the ground. So. All right, thank you. Yep. And Bye. now let's go to John. Hi, John. How are you? Oh, oh, sorry. Let's go to Tracy. Hi, good Hi. morning, yes. Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a, um ash tree in front of my house, and it's not dying from the top down. I don't think it's boars. It has this clumpy black stuff on it, and the limbs are dying. The leaves are all dropping. Can you give me a clue? Uh, clumpy black stuff. Boy, I sure it's don't. It's kind of like, it looks like cauliflower, but very small, about the size of a golf ball, and it's very crummy. Hmm. On an ash tree. I'm, on an ash tree. Yeah, I'm clueless on that, to be honest. Probably really? What, yeah, the best thing you could probably do is have an arborist come out and take a look at it. Maybe if I okay. saw it, I would know. But uh, yeah. a lot of trees are dropping leaves this time of year. You're sure this is not the uh, gall, G-A-L-L? But usually ash trees don't get the galls. No, it's not like what's on my pin oak. Okay, so it's something it, it's, different. It's Yeah, it's something different. And it, like I said, it looks like cauliflower. And then when you grab at it, it's very crummy. You can crumb it in your hand. Hmm. I would say run. I, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but it's killing the tree. I mean, I, when I break the lower limbs, I can break them, snap them right off. Well, I'll tell you, if it's, you know, this tree is gone, you know, it's problematic. I would find out what it is first, but I would plan on just having the tree taken down. Okay. It's that's got, what I thought. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't sound good. So, okay. Sorry. I wish right. I knew what the crummy cauliflower no. cr- crackly stuff is. <laughs> I, maybe I'm not describing it right, but I'm hoping. So <laughs> thank you so much. Certainly. But yeah, yeah, have a professional arborist come out and take a look. They'll be able to identify it probably pretty quickly. Okay, thanks. Sure. Now let's go to John. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I've got some problems with uh, a holly bush. It's... Uh, We've had so much water this year that it's like the leaves are turning yellow and browning and and, uh, falling off. And I was wondering what I could do to possibly save it for this year. How old is a tree or a shrub? All the the shrubs probably at least, well, somewhere between 7 to 10 years. Oh, that's not all that old. Uh, it sounds like a nutrient problem, especially if the foliage is turning yellowish. And if, you know, we, yeah, we did have a, you know, a lot of rain early on, but if it was planted correctly, so in other words, the top 10 or 15% of the root ball above the surrounding ground, the rain shouldn't have, ha- you know, shouldn't cause that kind of impact, you know, that's actually going to cause the root system to dry. But it sounds like it's a nutrient situation if the foliage is turning yellow, especially if the foliage is turning yellow and the veins are still green. That means the soil pH is wrong and there's not enough iron in your soil. 
So I don't know if you've been fertilizing it routinely or anything, but if you have been, you should, hopefully you've been using a fertilizer for acid-loving plants because all broadleaf evergreens, for the most part, need to have an acid-type fertilizer, which would have the iron and the sulfur in it to make the nutrients so the tree could stay or the bush could stay healthy. So it's a it's going to be an iffy type thing. Are the leaves that are falling off are they in the branches or are they on interior? They're kind of uh, on one side, and then there's a little part up on top. Uh, um, so on it, one side is that backside against your house or something? No, it was near one of the sides where uh, one of the sprinkler heads was also uh, striking. It. Oh, so you may. From the rain and actually the irrigation system, it may be a little bit wet. But what you can do is pull some mulch back and just see how you know see how moist the ground is right there. If you have an abundance of mulch, pull it back. You know, don't have any mulch around the actually stems coming up out of the ground. And uh, if you're going to put down the iron sulfate, you're going to pull the mulch back, put that on the ground, and then you can put the mulch back. But don't sprinkle it on top of the mulch. Okay. We'll try that and see what goes. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it's been doing so good for all these years, and then all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's, you know, the absolute mystery. You don't know exactly what happened, but uh, this was a very, you know, like you said, severe rainfall amounts the early spring and, you know, early summer, too. So hopefully you can get it turned around. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And now where should we head? Let's go to Ron. Ron, how are you today? Doing good, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Um, we've got a weeping cherry tree. It's about uh, seven feet tall, rough terms. And over the last year or so, it's developed a branch that is sticking straight out for three or four feet before it starts to droop. And my question is, can that be pruned uh We've looked at it, and it doesn't look like if we take that branch off, it'll affect the appearance of the tree. But can that be pruned, and if so, what time of year? You can basically prune it now. It's headed towards dormancy. But uh, check to see where this branch is actually coming out of, because weeping cherries are actually three trees that are glued together. One's a root system, one's a trunk, and then one is the umbrella-shaped weeping aspect. So... Mm What happens a lot of times is some of the straight growth that's not weeping immediately when it comes out is actually coming off the tree trunk as opposed to the weeping aspect that was grafted together with it. So Yeah, this, I think, is coming off the umbrella portion. Is of it? And it goes out straight for four feet before it goes weeping down, huh? Yeah, three or four feet. Yeah, it's not, it's not shooting up. It's going out horizontal. It doesn't. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I would say, I don't know how long it is, but uh, cut it off in sections, and we're headed towards the dormant period. So I'd wait until the foliage, you know, entirely drops from the tree, and then prune it during the winter time. Okay, sounds good. All right, good luck with that. Thanks, Mike. Certainly, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller. 
on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Isn't the crabgrass, foxtail, and all those annual warm season grasses, weedy grasses, they are exploding. I mean, it's just amazing. I walk past some yards and, I mean, the... Let's say the flower slash seeds are shooting up like some of them are like eight or ten feet above actually the blades of the weedy grasses. So this is the time of year where all those weedy grasses are producing seeds. They're going to drop the seeds. They're going to lay there until next year. And uh, guess what? Then they're going to explode. So that's why we put a pre-emergent down for these grassy type things, um, you know, when the forsythia is in bloom. This time of year, though, is when you're going to be putting a pre-emergent down. And for that, that's for all the cool season weeds, all the hen bits and speed wells and annual bluegrasses and things like that. So this is a time of year when you should be thinking about, for cool season weeds, putting your pre-emergent down. So those seeds have been laying there since last spring all the way through summertime. Now it's starting to cool down, even though it doesn't maybe feel like it. And then kaboom! They're going to explode. So let's ho- head over to Vicky's yard. Hi, Vicky. How are you? I'm great. Um, I uh, last year I had about uh, 25 little wild strawberries growing, and I thought, oh, good, the birds will eat them and everything. Well, <laughs> they, they, they don't. No. <laughs> and so this year I've got over a hundred, and I don't know what to do about it. Well, are they in your lawn or are they in planting beds? No, they're in my gardens. Uh, well, you can actually, there are certain types of Roundup. I mean, you can use Roundup to kill it. Or you can use a weed, you know, weed be gone because it's a broadleaf weed. The Roundup now is certain, let's say, containers that you buy. Actually, the rod, the spray rod, will have a kind of a half cone that's at the end of the sprayer. So when you spray, it only goes right down into that. It doesn't have any drift to it at all. So you could do that, or you can paint some Roundup directly onto the strawberries. But another way, too, is to dig them. But a lot of times the strawberries, they grow like regular strawberries, so they leap. You see the major clump here, and all of a sudden you start to dig it up, and then you realize it's heading out in all directions, north, south, and the east and west. So you got a couple different options. Yeah, you just have to be really careful if you're putting an herbicide down that you keep it off your other plants. I know. That's what I'm worried about. Well, how come the birds don't eat them? They don't like them. <laughs> well, my neighbor, because I was afraid, that, who knows, you know, and she said it had no flavor. <laughs> well, I don't know if birds can taste flavor or not, but, uh, uh-huh. you know, it's just not. Most of the birds don't like something that big. So I mm. so if they did eat them, the problem would be they'd consume some seeds by doing the same thing. Then when they go to the bathroom, they're spreading it around more and more and more. Oh, well, I guess that's a plus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, thank you so very yeah, much. Yeah, so in other words, you're going to have to go out there and just be, you know, with a Roundup in a bowl if you want to and a paintbrush and step on the strawberries, then paint the Roundup right on it. That way you don't have to worry about any kind of drift whatsoever. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, that's a tough one. I've got yeah. some in my, you know, in my lawn areas, and I've been hand digging them, and I thought I got them all taken care of. And then every time I go out again, I start to see, hmm, there's a few more of them. But good luck, Vicky. And now let's go to, let's go to Bill. Hi, Bill. How are you? 
Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, hey, I had a question. I had some mulch that I bought at one of the big box stores, kind of a brown dye mulch. And about a month ago, some kind of spores started growing on it and kind of was all over. So it, it kind of comes up in big chunks now. And I'm wondering, first, what that is. And secondly, uh, do I need to get rid of all the mulch and remulch it in the fall? Yeah, to be honest with you, that's some of the problems with us. You know, some of the products that's, you know, let's say they're not tested. I don't want to, I'm going to say St. Louis Compost, and they test all their products to make sure that you're not going to get this kind of situation with it. They've had in the past, you know, certain products that have caused what you've experienced, and they just got rid of the, the entire product. So, this is what you have to be cautious of, and some of these spores can be, I mean, some of them are, you know, shotguns, and they can turn the siding on your house black with speckles and stuff like that. Some of them are just big lumps of, like, puffballs and things along that line, so it's difficult to say exactly what it is. What you can do is just go out and rake it, and rake it on a regular basis, and see if you can, you know, keep this from forming, but uh, beyond that, uh, that's about all you can really do. Okay. Hey, can I well, one more quick question? I grew gourds this year, ah. and uh, I grew some gourds, and a, one of the gourds plants uh, vines went totally down. I think it was the moth that got in there. How long will those gourds, should I keep those gourds on the vine now that the one is totally out? Uh, it's really up to you, but uh, they're probably as big as they're going to get. So I would wait until the foliage on the gourds start turning yellow. And then go ahead and cut the gourds off and start drying them. All right. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Good luck with that. Yeah, those. it's nothing more frustrating than when you're trying to put an organic product down and you start to see fungus and molds and whatever else, bacteria is growing in it. So let's see. Where are we headed? Let's go to Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Hey, what's going on? Listen, I don't know anything about trees. I got a tree from Home Depot, a peach tree, that is, and I stuck those giant tree spikes down. And, I mean, I beat about four of them down. I'm crazy, you know. And the thing shot up there like two years ago. And now it's like 12 feet tall. And I got one. This is the weird thing. I got a peach that's growing out of it. It's not like it grew out of a vine or anything. Like straight out of the branch. Well, that's how they normally grow. So peaches on peach trees grow, like, right off the branch. There is no kind of vine. Okay, but, and you know what? Um, I was just wondering. I hope I wasn't going to kill it by jamming all those giant tree spikes in there, you Yeah, know? you sh- really shouldn't have done that. Usually you don't get any fruit on trees, for depending upon what type of tree. There's standard trees, there's semi-dwarf, and there's dwarf. Standard trees usually take about any place up to eight years before you're going to get much fruit production or, you know, fruit oh production God. at all. Semi-dwarf is a couple years less, and then the true dwarfs is about four to five years. So it's going to stress the tree out. I'd pull that peach off there and get rid of it because producing fruit is the most stressful thing even a good, healthy tree can do. So so I would get that off there and don't fertilize it with these tree spike things again. Yeah, my dad was a green thumb. I'm just trying to catch up with him. (laughs) Anyway... uh, yeah, I, I should have planted a plum tree at the same time because I, I always wanted to make a nectarine. <laughs> and how do you do that anyway? Well, I don't know how you make a nectarine. You don't? <laughs> no. You're the green thumb man. I thought you knew everything. <laughs> I think, isn't there nectarine trees? 
I don't know. I thought it was a mixture of a plum and a peach. I don't think so, but maybe hmm. it is. I'm going I'm to look into that. Yeah, just look Thanks online. anyway. I appreciate it. Yeah. I like nectarines, right, but. but I like white nectarines. I don't like the yellow ones. So let's go now to uh, Al. Al, how are you? Good. How are you this morning, Mark? Very good. A uh, couple of questions. Uh, one, as a follow-up, a call a few weeks ago. So I um, had a uh, pin oak tree turning yellow, and I d- drilled the holes, put the iron, sul- iron sulfate in there. But you also said in between those um, holes to put uh, compost. And uh, I was wondering, I've got leaves that I've been piling in the back of my lot for 40 years, going away from soil up to the last leaf. So would uh, leaves, those leaves, be good compost to put in those other holes or if you've been if you've been rotating this, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But if it's just been a pile of leaves, it's probably not going to help all that much. I see. So, in other um, words, compost you know usable to make it so it breaks down and becomes functional for the plant material has to be you know turned on a regular basis. That's why they have these composting drums and all this other stuff. I see. Okay, so uh, a regular fertilizer wouldn't be any good in some of those holes. Or Definitely not. Tree fertilizer. Just, okay. What you're trying to do with putting compost down into these holes is you're trying to feed the soil. You're not trying oh. to feed the tree. I see. Okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. Second question had to do with iris. Uh, seems like in the past, one time I cut those off about six inches above the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it is it Okay to do that now, or is that something for later, or what? No, no, that's fine to do it now. It is, okay. In the spring blooming stuff, I'm assuming this is traditional flags. You know, once the -hmm. the tips start turning yellowish-brown, then you Mm -hmm. can go ahead and cut them. Okay, thank you so much. Have a blessed day. Certainly, and thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, again, healthy soil is the best way to take care of your plant material. To fertilize, you're not really making the soil healthy. You're just making... Let's say the plant material have a surge of growth. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Thanks to the library, St. Louis Public Library, which is just across the street from where we are for sponsoring, co-sponsoring the Garden Hotline. Let's head over to Mike's yard. Mike, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, Mike. How are you today? Good. Yeah. Anyway, I've got this uh, large uh, tulip poplar, and it's over my deck. And when I sit out there, there's like a mist coming down. Somebody told me it was aphids eating on it. And um, anyway, it's a real sticky substance. It gets all over everything. I was right. wondering if you could help me with that. That's basically They were right, whoever told you that. Tulip poplars or tulip trees or lariodendron, which is a botanical name, they are just a giant magnet for aphids. And when the aphid feeds, it sticks its proboscis kind of like a needle into the actually leaf. And then when it pulls it back out, it leaves a little dewdrop, and that's what you're having raining, raining down on you. There's really not a whole lot you can do, especially if this is a larger tree. I mean, to do injections and things like that to try to kill the aphids off, that's going to be a multiple-year project because you probably have a million aphids on the thing. Yeah. Uh, somebody told me that it, ants, if you can get rid of the ants, that helps. Do you know anything about that? No, the ants are just there to gather the dewdrops. So okay. once the aphid feeds, then the ant will go, well, here's a nice dewdrop. I'll take that back to the you know, ant hole and let the queen have a party. 
<laughs> so, okay, so basically, uh, outside of removing the tree, there's not a whole lot you can do. No, not really. I mean, especially if it's a large tree. I mean, you could go out and the area over your deck, maybe, you know, try to spray the foliage and try to wash them off, knock them off that way. But uh, probably they're going to be back, but it might give They'll you a month or so. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. Certainly, yeah. That's, the aphids are really nasty on the tulip poplar trees, for sure. And if you look at the leaves, they're kind of shiny, and they're going to be sticky, so you have <laughs> the worst-case scenario. Let's see. Now let's go to Kevin. Kevin, how are you today? I'm good. Hey, I have a question this morning about uh, nutsedge. Is that something that, you know, I've been using kind of a reactive trying to spray it as you see it come up in the yard but it just keeps coming back every year and it uh it's it's like a non-winning battle for me i didn't know if you had any ideas on it you know if this is specifically for killing nutsedge or nutgrass then it's you know probably you have a whole let's say bank full of you know nutsedge seeds underneath the ground and if you're spraying it early best time to spray as soon as you see it because later on in the season, if you spray it, it has a waxy cuticle, and you think it might have killed it, but it maybe not have. It's not killed it entirely, but it's going to be a long, involved battle. And the nutsedge really likes you know our areas that have a tendency to be damp. They don't have to be damp, but that's usually where they're going to be most prominent. So it's just going to be you know. Again, use a sedge ender or something specifically for killing the nutsedge. Other products, other herbicides are not nearly as effective. Okay, yeah, most of the ones that I've tried, you know, it says uh, also kills nuts, you know, yellow nutsedge, I believe, or something like that. Yeah, I would get one that says yellow nutsedge first. Okay, and then how does that, uh, is that an annual or a perennial? How does that uh, reproduce itself? It's basically an annual. I mean, it is. So, in other words, if you if you left one plant there, it may come back from that spot, but it produces seeds above the ground. You know, if you don't mow your grass enough, there's, there's going to be seeds, you know, coming out of the top. And then there's, you know, as an older, mature plant, you know, gets mature, it could produce seeds at the tips of the of the root system. Yeah, because I, I never actually see seeds on the top of the ground. That's why I was wondering how how it keeps coming back every year. Yeah, if there are older ones that haven't been killed entirely, then, then, I mean, the nuts are right at the, the, you know, when you dig up one, you're going to see that it has maybe six or seven white roots hanging down. And potentially, if that's an older plant, each one of those roots had a seed. So that's where the trouble comes. Okay, well, I appreciate your help, and I enjoy your show, Mike. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Now let's go to Margie. Hi, Margie. Hi. Good morning, Mike. I have a garden-related question because it has to do with uh, mosquito proliferation, I guess you would say. Um, It's the PVC pipe that goes from the sump pump out to the middle of the yard. Mm -hmm. It's been there for almost 20 years, and just this week I noticed that the opening is kind of curved up. And I can fix that because I know it wasn't like that before, but I realized that there's tons of standing water in there. Right. And um, I thought to spray some, you know, mosquito repellent or something in there, and I just wondered if that was a good idea or if there's something better that you might know or suggest. Well, basically mosquitoes, you know, they lay their eggs in that water. 
Mm-hmm. And so then when they're before they actually become adult mosquitoes and come flying out, then they're going to lay in there, you know, live in that puddle of water that's in this pipe. So as long as whatever you're spraying in there is going to, you know, kill the, let's say, the larvae, then that's fine. If it's not going to kill the larvae, I'd probably just take a hose and shoot water back in there and, uh, you know, get the thing straightened out so you don't have the puddles of water in the pipe. Well, just the nature of the PVC pipe, you're going to have, you know, with the ridges, you're going to have standing water in there. Yeah, that, that, I, rec- I never recommend that flexible pipe. I always yeah. see the, the hard PVC, you know, white pipe versus the flexible stuff. Well, that's, yeah. It's a do little, you think it would be good to put like a mesh over it so that, um, you know, nothing can fly in there? <laughs> well, you could try it, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't All hurt. Right. Okay. Thought I'd ask. Oh, I have a question. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, there was a lady on there talking about Rent-A-Goat, and oh, yeah. I Googled it. I Googled it, and all I could find was out in California, and they they only do, like, minimum of, like, two acres. That's what they called small. And she sounded like she was local, and I just wondered if you or anybody knew, because I would like, you know, I just have a regular-sized backyard, but there's an area there that I would rather a goat, you know, come in and clear if that's, you know, what they do. Right. Well, basically, there was an article in the on the Post Dispatch, I think, on a Sunday issue that actually showed these goats coming out of the trailer. And the lady, I think her last name is Streeter, and uh, what it was is Bayesian lamb, or, or I forget exactly. It's a florist, but they had a bunch of junk growing along the side of their. Uh, greenhouses and they brought the goats in and they showed after the goats were leaving you know how much they devastated so you know but it is local yes this was a local lady so again it was on the front page of the post dispatch i think this last sunday's issue oh okay well i'll have to look that up thanks a lot yep good luck with that Mm -hmm. and as i said before uh you know, I'm working to try to get the goats to climb the trees and do some pruning. I'm trying to figure out how to train those. But President Trump says they're immigrants and they won't uh. let me bring <laughs> Oh, well, enough, enough. Let's, Ted, how are you today? Good morning, sir. Thanks Hi. for your show. Sure. Uh, I've got moved into Warrington a few years ago. and We've got large oak trees. And I've lost five of them now and another one ready to go. One day they look beautiful. The next thing you got is brown leaves and the tree's dead from the top down. That's bad. I would I would get a hold of the county extension service, University of Missouri, have them come out and take a look. Okay. I mean, I'm noticing them in certain areas in Washington around that area. Trees are just dying, and it's all oak, so I was just wondering what would be causing it. Yeah, there's, you know, there's several different diseases, why it's happening there as opposed to other places. But have the, you know, again, have the county extension people come out, have them take a look, and then they may recommend you have an arborist come out. But, uh, you know, without knowing exactly what it is, you can't do injections, you can't do anything. But get somebody out there that knows what they're doing and have them do an analysis of what's going on. Okay, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, there's not, you know, it's a little difficult without seeing. But, yeah, if you're having major trees die that quickly, that is, you know, unless it's just an old age thing, but uh, that's probably not the case. So, everybody, you got to hold on because we're going to be taking or going to the news real shortly. So, wow. Mike Miller, K. in Mark Garden. No, I'm not going to leave yet. But what you need to be thinking about, again, I'm going to emphasize the fact that the ground is still very dry. So continue to water your plants. 
dry soil going into the wintertime, that means that sort of dehydrates, you know, away from the root system. So if we get cold, cold air sinking down into the ground, you could have some root system damage as a result of that. That's why hydrating your soil going into wintertime is really extremely important. And that's for any kind of plant material, woody plant material, herbaceous time, you know, lawns, you know, perennials, everything. They need to have their soil moist. It's really, really important. If you don't do it, you could really kind of have some problems that you could not imagine. So um, talk to everybody. We still got a few people hanging on after the news. So enjoy. Where's the storms? No storms. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, I have to admit the uh, newsroom is cold. I mean, I saw Brian Kelly out there working. You could see his breath. Well, we call it Ice Station Zebra. <laughs> So if I outcue my news with Brian Kelly, Ice Station Zebra, you'll know why. Luckily, the studio that we're... What studio is this? Is this Studio B? B? This is Studio, studio B. B. Yes. Uh, studio B, I'm sweating. Yes. Well, <laughs> come on Contrast out. Contrast and reality. You can join us in the newsroom. Yes. Thanks. Welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. And I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, you can call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with your questions, comments, or concerns. Back to the goat story. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to work on those Moroccan goats. They can climb trees, so uh, I'm going to teach them once I get them to prune trees because they can climb. Go online, Moroccan goats. You can see them standing. There's like four or five or six of them standing up in trees. So anyway, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. And we're here to discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs and all arounds, about annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I like sharing my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, opinions is not the only garden path to take. And it's strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing. So when you call, all he needs to know is your name and where you're calling from. And that's pretty much it. I spend my week doing a landscape consulting where I come to your home and do a walk and talk where I answer the questions that you may have. And then all of a sudden, all, all, all of a sudden, all, uh, I will also keep my eyes open for things that might be impacting your landscape as well. I'll share 40 plus years of experience and uh, can help you with plant care, maintenance, decisions, all that other stuff as well. Tip of the Trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the Trial goes out to several different uh, garden clubs, Richmond Heights Garden Club, and they meet on Dale Avenue, the St. Clair County Garden Club of Belleville. They meet uh, in, actually at a restaurant in Belleville, and uh, also the St. Louis Hosta Society. Hostas are really looking pretty good. And uh, they finished flowering. Flowering is a little bit, you know, but anyway. Foliage still looks really good. And then the Garden Club of Lebanon. Lebanon? Lebanon. And uh, they meet every Wednesday of the month at the historic Mermaid House. And uh, so that's going to be in Lebanon. So... Lots of different kinds of garden clubs, but these are four that I just focused on 
this week. So if you do have questions or concerns, why don't we take a couple calls before we take a break? Let's go to Phil in South County. Hi, Phil. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking the call here. Sure. Uh, on the butternut squash vines, they keep, the vines just keep on growing. Now, if I cut the vine off so it stops growing, would that transfer the energy of the vines to produce more fruit? Uh, I don't know if it's going to produce any fruit, but the, if you still have fruit on it, it's going to help that mature so you can actually harvest it. Okay. That sounds good. Would they also work on tomato plants? They keep getting taller. Uh, basically, you should whack those down. You want to okay. concentrate it. Any tomatoes that are formed now are not going to have a chance, you know, a long enough period of time to be able to ripen. So get rid of those and just allow the, the tomatoes that are on there to ripen on the, on okay. the plant. Okay. I've also taken a, P, a P, PVC pipe, about three foot long, put a cap on it, build a hole in the bottom, and the bottom of it is next to the roots of the tomato plants. I just pour the uh, water and the uh, plant food down through the pipe to get to the roots. It seems to be working. Yeah, I mean, you're getting moisture. Tomatoes need a lot of food, and they need a lot of moisture. That's uh, crucial for them. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Certainly. Good luck. It sounds like you're doing a great job. We're trying. Thank you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's difficult out there. Let's go now to Lori. Hi, Lori. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um I wanted to tell you that you're right about the nectarines. I used to think the same thing as the other caller, that they were a combination of peach and plum, but nectarines, nectarine, fruit itself. Uh, But the question I had is, my husband and I were in Florida a week ago on vacation, and they had beautiful crown of thorn plants there. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering whether those could grow in this climate here. They don't do so well. Basically, Uh, as houseplants... But beyond that, uh, they can go outside in the summertime, but they can't survive our winter times. Okay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the information. Well, thank you. And thanks for, the, let's say, your information on the uh, nectarines. Okay. <laughs> you take care. Yes. And now let's go to Terry. Hi, Terry. How are you today? Yeah. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I really enjoy your show. And I have, I have two questions. The first question is regarding hibiscus trees. I have four hibiscus trees that, you know, the type with the braided trunks. They're about four or five feet tall. Right. And, and I've had these all summer, and they bloomed wonderfully, and they looked great. I have two that have double flowers, and they are on a deck overlooking a pool. And I have two that are down on the pool deck itself. Recently, the two that are down on the pool deck started getting yellow leaves. The leaves would turn yellow and eventually turn brown and fall off, and they've lost about over half their leaves. Uh, what is my problem? Basically, uh, hopefully you're not overwatering those that are down there, and uh, they hasn't got any sort of the chlorine water you know, splashed into them. But for the most part, the hibiscus, as the days, even though we're not conscious of it that much, are getting shorter, they start dropping leaves. Now, why the ones up on the deck are not dropping leaves yet as opposed to the ones that are down on the pool deck, you know, it's, you know, it's tough to say. But this is something that's you know, routinely happens this time of year. Could, could it be a heat problem that there's too much heat coming off of the pool deck? Generally, if you're keeping it moist, you know, in other words, watered, it should not be a problem because the heat is not really, you know, if you got it, do you have them actually sitting on the actual concrete or whatever the deck is or do you have yeah. them sitting on the side? I have them sitting sitting on the paver stones, 
and I have kept them moist, and I actually sprayed them with a disease control, thinking maybe they had a disease. No, it's not a disease. It's more environmental. It's Mother Nature more so than anything. Oh, and that's okay. why when people bring them inside, because the days are shorter inside and less intense light, even by, if they're right next to a window, they're going to have a tendency to st- you know drop leaves all winter long. Okay. I, my other question concerns getting plants to flower that I've wintered over in the garage. I, I have calla lilies and Mexican petunias. The calla lilies, I let the foliage die, and I bring the pots with the bulbs into the garage. Right. And the Mexican petunias, I bring the pots with the foliage in the garage. And when it's a warm day, I open the door and let them get light, and I have them by a window. And the next year, they look beautiful. The foliage is great, but I get no flowers. I mean, the calla lilies get giant, but I get no flowers. Uh, what am I doing wrong? Are you fertilizing? Yes. I'll say you're doing everything right. So, again, it's just a question of na- Mother Nature as much as anything. You're not potting them up in bigger pots, are you? No. Okay, so you're doing everything you possibly can do. So why they're not flowering, it's a little bit difficult to determine, but you're doing everything exactly as you should. Yeah, it, it's, it's strange because the, the, the foliage on the calories gets huge, just no flowers. Right. And the Mexican petunias will get maybe... One or two flowers, and that's it. Yeah, that's, you know, it's just a question of who knows what that's making it so you're not getting the flowers. I wondered if maybe the calla lilies have to freeze or the bulbs have to get very cold because my garage does not get very cold. No, they don't have to get that cold. Because okay. so there's in other words like kind of elephant ears and you know and cannas and all that other stuff. So they don't need to go through a freeze cycle. Well, I. Maybe I should fertilize more often. Somebody told me because you water, you wash out the fertilizer, and you need to keep fertilizing all the time. Absolutely. Anything in a pot, every time you wash, you're flushing you know, potential nutrients out as it goes out through the bottom drainage holes. Okay, well, maybe next year I'll just try to fertilize from the beginning every time. Yeah, and also get a fertilizer you know, that's related to blooms, in other words, I, to flowers. I, I, yeah, I, I did that. Okay. I did that. <laughs> and the 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 Mexican petunias, should I cut, would it be better to cut the foliage back to the pot level and then let it start anew? Or? I wouldn't cut them going into wintertime, but when you bring them outside, I'd cut them at that time. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. I had an email during the weekend. Uh, the gentleman said, you know, he's heard me last week, or he heard me whenever, about talking about pre-emergence. He thought there was a pre-emergence specifically for broadleaf weeds. Pre-emergence, they don't care what kind of plant it is. Pre-emergence create a chemical barrier on the surface of the ground, and then when any kind of seed germinates, it doesn't matter what kind of seed, it kills the seed at that time. So whether it's a grass, whether it's a broadleaf, it doesn't matter. It kills seeds that germinate, whether it's lawn, whether it's anything else. So this is a time of year where you're going to put your pre-emergent down to control annual cool season weeds like henbit, 
like chickweed, like annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce. There's a type of speedwell that's an annual. There's a rabbit's foot clover, shepherd's purse as well. So this is the time of year to have your lawn service or yourself head out to the garden center. Tell them that you want a pre-emergent to put down and read the label, follow the instructions on how much it's supposed to cover and everything else. So there is not a specific type of herbicide for just broadleaf weeds. They kill any kind of seed that germinates. So let's now go to Joyce. Joyce, how are you today? Yes, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I've got a couple of questions. One of them, and mostly it's on hydrangeas. I've got hydrangeas um, all around my house. So the biggest one is about four by four feet and beautiful broad leaf, but it doesn't flower. And then I have them all around the house. So some are shade, some are uh, partial shade, and some are more full sun. Then I've got, and they're, and they're probably the type of hydrangea is something someone gave me as a uh, gift from a flower shop, and I just transplanted them, but I'm not really, really sure. And then I've got a couple of really pretty lemon daddies. I just love that uh, yellow green. Right. But they don't flower either. I would say it's probably nutrient-related as much as anything. How old are these plants? The lemon daddies are probably four years old, yeah. maybe four or five, and the other ones are older than that. Yeah, they. I mean, so they've never bloomed at all? No, they have bloomed, but they don't bloom very much. Yeah. Maybe I'll get one little bloom on them and the ones on the north that the big broadleaf, they have uh, maybe two. Okay, what I do... Because I would love to uh, take them when they flower, and you can tell me when I should cut them off. Yeah, don't don't do any pruning at all. Leave them alone. No pruning whatsoever. Get a soil test done. Find out what the nutrients are, and then do an adjustment with the fertilizers that you're going to put down. Hydrangeas, in general, like an acid-based fertilizer. Okay, acid-based. Right, but get that soil test done and find out what's going on. How close are they to your house foundation? Um, some of them are within two feet. Yeah, see, that's Other, uh, the, al- uh, the alkalinity of your foundation, of the concrete of your foundation, makes the pH really high, and that may be impacting their ability to flower. Okay, okay. Uh, the other one is probably six feet from the house, but yeah. three feet from the from sidewalk. Yeah, see, so the leaching of the, the pH from the concrete you know, can have an impact on them. So okay, get right. that soil test, find out what's going on. Okay, and my other question is, I would love a flowering, a small flowering tree or bush about 15 feet tall. Uh, and I've seen these hydrangeas, we go back to hydrangeas, and they're really pretty, but then I see them bend down and break, and and so that may be not be a good choice. I've tried crepe myrtle also, and they're kind of iffy also as far as uh, being as pretty as what I like for them to be. Um, so I was wondering if you could suggest one. It's partial shade only because of the eave of the house that faces north. Okay. Uh, to look at a tree called fringe, F-R-I-N-G-E, fringe tree. Okay. And just, you know, see what you think of that. All right. It flowers? Yes, white flowers. Okay. Okay. 
Sounds good. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a little bit unusual. I mean, you have the classic dogwoods and the red buds and things like that, but a French tree is something that's a little bit out of the normal. Okay, and that would go right in front of the house bed. I mean, is it going to be too wide? Uh, well, I've got a four foot. My my bed is about four foot. That's too. Yeah, it's too narrow. Oh, okay. There's what, not going to be a tree that can really fit into that space, to be honest. How about a uh, tall bush, flowering bush? Uh, let's see. On the north side, hmm, there's uh-huh. nothing going to be, you know, tr- look at Itea, Sweet Spire. They're not going to be tall, but they're going to flower for an extended period of time. Itea? Yes. Itea is a, you know, the genus, and Sweet Spire is a common name. Okay. And then there's another right. shrub to look at called Abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A. Okay. And take All a look right. at that one. The Abelia is actually evergreen. Okay. And see what Sounds you think great. about all those. Okay. Thank you so much, Mike. I Certainly. love your show. My pleasure, and thanks for hanging mm-hmm. on as long as you did. Now That's let's go fine. to thanks. Dave. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hi, Mike. How are you doing this good. morning? Very good. Can you hear me good? I'm on a cell phone. Yes. Anyway, I have three suggestions. I heard you earlier talking about the Irish Spring hanging from, you know, I like to take the Irish Spring, run it through a cheese grater, and you can broadcast it throughout your yard. Ah. And it provides a human scent, is what keeps the deer away. There's another method that works really well. I have two more. But the pure cleaning ammonia without lemon, you can take, you know, take a piece of wood. It can be a two-by-four piece of driftwood. Soak it down with that and put it at the base of your plants. And also take that spray bottle and broadcast it throughout your yard, which everything that breathes finds ammonia obnoxious to breathe. (laughs) And that works very well. (laughs) And the third method is something I like to call low-flying lead, which also provides a tasty meal for the dinner plate. <laughs> that, that may be a little too brutal for some people. Right, that's very true. <laughs> but thanks for taking my call. I oh, appreciate sure. you show it. Listen all the time. Well, thanks for your insight. That's a yeah. Running it through a shredder, I never even thought about that. I've always just you know hung. The it bars. works really well. It uh, and the ammonia, it'll green up your grass. You know, you can broadcast it with a spray bottle. I like to put it on wood because it doesn't evaporate so quick, and that wood will hold that scent. And it lasts a lot longer. If you have a privacy fence, you can spray your privacy fence and do like a border control, you know, to keep them out. Right. And it's if you live in a suburban area, the deer are probably used to the human sense, so the soap becomes less effective. Right. Well, and, thanks. But you have a good day, and thanks for taking my call. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Sam's yard. Hi, Sam. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I'm newly relocated to San Diego. I'm from San Diego to St. Louis, and I've got a problem with moles uh, eating up the lawn. Can you uh, give me some suggestions how I might rid the lawn of moles or bowls, whatever? (laughs) Well, moles don't really eat lawn. They're looking for earthworms. So you must have a nice yard or else the moles wouldn't be there because earthworms are only in good landscapes. So that's what they're tunneling for. Now, voles can use a mole tunnel. Now, they will eat root systems and things like that. But moles also eat grubs. They eat any kind of insects they come across. But grub control does not get rid of moles. Really, the only effective way is using, like, a victor spear or choker loop traps. That's the most effective way. And wait, flatten all the tunnels, see which ones pop up, and then set the traps along the ones that have popped up. So, in other words, that means the ones that are 
have used or are currently using, and that's the best thing you can do as far as getting rid of them. Okay. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, I appreciate your show. Thanks for having me on. Well, sure. My pleasure. And, yeah, I mean, some people have called in and talked about putting mothballs in the tunnels and doing several things. But And then there's somebody that's called in and said, that's too brutal to kill them with the traps, but uh, mm-hmm. you got to go after them if you got to go after them. Right. Okay. Thanks for the advice. Certainly. Mike Miller, mm-hmm. KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, you got house plants outside and you got to get them ready to come inside. We'll start watching them and looking at them closely, insect-wise and everything else. And this is the last month to do the fertilizing on your house plants before you bring them in. So... Uh, except the ones that are going to flower or in flower, you want to keep those well fed. And this is also the time of year where you could start doing your point. This points at a thing to me. My mother, she didn't do anything very special. She didn't stick them in a closet for 14 hours a day where it was totally black and all that. And hers really, probably I'd say at least every other year, the bracts, and so in other words, those leaves turn colors. So you can do that extreme stuff if you want to with the poinsettias. Uh, personally, I just uh, sort of buy new ones every year because I'm too lazy to do all that crazy stuff. But anyway, enough of that. And now let's go to Elaine. Hi, Elaine. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I have a couple of questions for you, and I know that one of them has probably been on the air before, but I actually just turned into your station. I haven't listened to it for years, so I'm really excited about all the information I'm learning. And my first big question is, I have two beautiful oak trees in the front of my house, one on each side of my driveway, and my um, neighbor across the street noticed that one half of my um, oak tree is losing its leaves, it's turning yellow, and it looks like it's got like little holes or something in the leaves, and there's some kind of a disease on it. Can you give me any information on that? Uh, Basically, I'd have a, you know, without seeing it, it's a little bit difficult, but uh, if the leaves are, you know, discoloring, that could be nutrient-wise. So, in other words, what's in your soil. So, you should probably get a soil test done, find out what the soil pH is, what the nutrient level is. That could be having a huge impact on anything. But, uh, you know, oak trees or any kind of tree can be impacted by what's in the soil. But it's only half of the tree. I mean, you can you can actually look down the middle of the tree and see half of it that's losing all the leaves. I have brown leaves all over my yard, like and I didn't think that oak leaves, a lot of times they don't lose their leaves till the spring. Well, sometimes you know, that's, yeah, sometimes that's the case, but it's not going to be always the case. Every year is going to be different because of just the way Mother Nature is. Now, this is okay. the side that's losing its leaves. Is it next to the driveway? Is it next to this? You know, there's nope, all kinds it's of... It's next to the rest of my lawn, right? Yeah. So the one on the other side of the driveway seems to be doing okay. Okay. And then um, this, the part that's losing its leaves is the part that's furthest away from the driveway. Yeah, I would say... And I can, like... Yeah, I'd get an arborist to come out and take a look. Okay, are there any diseases or anything going on out there that well, I a, need to be aware of? Not that I'm conscious of, not that, you know, has this kind of impact. Okay. Okay. And that's good to know because I thought there was something out there. There might be something out there that I'm going to lose my tree and I'm a little concerned about that because they're beautiful. So. Right. Okay. took me 25 years to get them this big. So, <laughs> okay. And they're not old, obviously, for oak trees. So. Right. Okay. 
And question number two is I have, um, I'm growing um, tall zinnias around my driveway. Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful, um, but a lot of them aren't staying tall. They're falling over, which they never really did before. They're kind of leaning to the side. And some of them, and I don't know if it's from me fertilizing and not getting down to the ground as much as I thought I was, are, are getting brown leaves. Is that the time of year for these to start losing their leaves as well? Absolutely. The days are getting shorter, even if we're not conscious. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, it was still, the sun was only going down and that was past 830. Now the sun's going down at 730. So shortness I have of the days. That, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay. So that's probably, you know, again, it's mother nature as much as anything. Okay. Okay, so neither one of them are neat. Well, at least the zinnias are nothing to worry about. No. And when the leaves die off, can I break those off and let them fall back into the ground? Will they come again next year? Or um, I've heard that before, that if you take the brown um, leaves and the seeds that are inside of them and just, you know, break them up, that they will um, come again in the next year. Is that true? Well, it's not the leaves. It's actually the flower. That's no, where the seeds are. that's what I mean. The okay. dead flowers, yeah. Yeah. You could do that, but I wouldn't depend upon that because we never know, again, what the weather's going to be like. Gather some of the seeds, you know, flower heads, and put them in a paper bag in the, your garage or something for the wintertime. So you have, okay. uh, let's say, a, a secure safety net. Okay. And I've been doing that. And then next year, do I just um, sprinkle them on top of the ground or do I dig holes like I'm planting them? No, you don't. The seeds can just just make sure the soil's prepared. Obviously, you've got okay. the zinnias in a spot, and just sprinkle the seeds on top of the ground and just probably tamp them down a little bit. Okay. All right. That's what I'll do. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate your show. I'm going to start listening more when I'm in town. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on your show. So, now, oh, let's thank go. Thank you. Take care. Sure. Let's go over to Ray's yard. Hi, Ray. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, gosh, I've been listening to you for as long as you've been on the air. Uh, I got a row of uh, Althea, or, you know, Rosie Sharon. Right. Bushes. But uh, what kills them? Uh, nothing, nothing really drastic, one or two over the years. But uh, I don't know. I get what I, what I did, I got them as little, little seedlings, and so I planted them fairly close, and then I spread them out a little bit. But how far should it? Oh, heck, they're seven, eight foot tall, you know, ten foot, and I trim them every year. But should I take out some or and uh, spread them out even more, or what? Well, pr that's probably what the case is. Some of the more aggressive ones are going to overshadow the ones that are not as aggressive, that are in between. And so consequently that, because they're not getting as much sunlight, that, uh, you know, the, the plants need sunlight. There's no getting around it. To take sure. you know to use those nutrients and moisture coming up from the root system, and sun goes to the you know hits the leaves, and the leaves make chlorophyll, and that's the food. So these are probably just kind of being starved. All right. Well, I guess I'll take some, move them over, or take some out, or something because they're beautiful. They're they're pretty. They're like weeds. <laughs> My God, they grow grow like mad. Yeah. But, they uh, anyway. They get uh, huge. Hey, thanks, Mike. Sure. Uh, uh, that's about it, though. I mean, I got a ton of questions. That's all right. You got other colors. Thank you. Really well, thanks. Program. Yeah, the Rose of Sharon is one of my favorite plants, and it's a plant that I remember most as a kid because, you know, before we moved to Ellisville, we lived in the city in South City of Flat Avenue, and uh, consequently there was quite a few Rose of Sharons along there. And when those petals, after they finished flowering, would, you know, fall onto the ground, 
I was <laughs> I sort of collected them and took them to my mother, and she said, "What are you bringing this stuff home for?" Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> yep. And now let's go over to Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have two questions. Um, first of all, I've got a sweet gum tree. What is the life of those? It's starting to get a lot of dead little branches in it. Yeah, dead wood is, can happen, but, I mean, they can go on and on and on. I mean, there's some in the botanical garden grounds that are probably 60, 70, maybe 80 years old. That's not to say everyone, you know, throughout the entire region is going to last that long. But probably 40 to 50 years is, I would think, average. Okay, well, mine's about 25, so it's got some life in it yet. Yes. Okay, and another thing, I'm going to replace all my landscaping around the north side of the house and the uh, east side of the house. And I was wanting something that flowers that would be not get very big at all. I've had azaleas there. Well, they don't do very well. They they haven't. They've just. The last two years, they've been blooming in October instead of in the spring. <laughs> so what would you suggest in a flowering? Probably, I would, you know, I would look at, there's Abelia, A-B-E-L-A. This, I mentioned this to a lady in the, you know, in the first hour. Abelia, and then the variety is Edward Goucher. It flowers pretty much all summer long. Smaller flowers, it's a smaller shrub. Then okay. there's then there's a sweet spire which is itea i t e a, take a look at that one. Okay. And then I would look at uh, nandina n a n d i n a, which is a heavenly bamboo. Okay. It's not a bamboo. It doesn't flower all that much, but it has very colorful foliage. Okay. So uh, and then on the east side, what would you suggest? I would say you know I would just repeat it. It's okay, the same thing on both sides. Right. Okay, and any kind of a small shrub. Have you heard of the bowling ball shrub? Bowling ball? There's another name for it. No, I don't. It looks like they're just round. Uh, It might be Uh, a a globe arborvitae. Oh, I bet that's what it is. Are they uh, pretty hardy for this area? Yeah, I mean, I recommend them a lot because they don't take any pruning. They don't. It just makes sure you get the Hetzi, H-E-T-Z-I-I, Hetzi variety, because it's only going to get about waist high. Some of the non-dwarf ones will get uh, a foot taller than that. Okay. My daughter had some dwarf. I think they look like dwarfs. They're just not very big at all. But they're only two years old. Yeah. I don't know how big they grow. And then if you wanted to, something that grows straight up, get the Hicks, H-I-C-K-S, Hicks U. So it'll just grow straight up, pretty narrow. Then you can just control the height. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head over to Ron Jar. Ron, how are you? Doing fine. How are you doing today? Very good. My question is about tomato plants that are staked, and they're over four foot tall, just loaded with large green tomatoes, but they're not ripening. Yeah. Well, it's kind of late in the season, so you haven't had any that ripened all season long? Well, maybe a half a dozen throughout the season, but they're just all loaded and staying green. Yeah, I mean... uh I would probably what I do is 
you pick, let's say, half of them, get rid of them, and see if you can get some of the other ones to ripen up. But, I mean, we're getting towards the end of the season. That's why this time of year, if they hadn't had any, if they were just now setting the fruits, I would say don't let it happen, get rid of them. But uh, that's probably what I would do is take or get rid of half the green tomatoes and see if you can get some of them to ripen. Also, okay, are you I'll using, try that. Yeah, are you using tomato food? No, haven't been putting any food on them. Yeah, I mean, that that shouldn't really, if you've got fruit set and everything else, the fertilizer helps a little bit, but, uh, and they're in full sun, correct? That they don't get the morning sun, but the rest of the day, because they're closer to the house. Yeah, so are they getting like at least six hours of sun? That's correct. Okay, so six hours should be adequate. But I would say get rid of half the fruits and see what happens. All right, appreciate it very much. Yep. And Thank you. My pleasure, and let's go over to Carol's yard. Oh, Mike. Yes. I have a question. I bought some um, product to get rid of nutgrass in my yard. Mm-hmm. It does a real good job. It kills the nutgrass, not the grass. Right. But now I find I have nutgrass growing in my daylilies. If I spray it there, will that kill the daylilies? No. It's specifically targeted formulated for going after nutgrass. It doesn't impact other plant material. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, <laughs> thanks a lot. Certainly. And now we're headed over to Kevin's yard. Hi, Kevin. No, let's go to let's go to Teresa. Oh, Kevin, okay, sorry. Okay, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. The gentleman that called about the ammonia in the yard for deer, you think that would work for rabbits? And uh, did he happen to mention how much of a uh, dilution he made with the ammonia? No, he didn't really mention that. But uh, probably you could go online and find out as far as that goes. And I don't know if it would. It should work for rabbits. It should, any kind of wildlife should you know like be repelled by the fact that there is ammonia there. Have you tried uh, some of the other repellents and not been satisfied with them? Uh, no, I haven't. No. I did the uh, deer and rabbit thing that's worked uh, real well for a friend of mine, but uh, my yard not so much, and they're starting to breed, and there's a lot of them. And I, I haven't gotten a bean plant yet, so I've had to stake and um, put fences around my garden to uh, Keep try and get out. some uh, vegetables out of it. Yeah. So, okay, I'll look online then. Thank you very much. Yeah. Just take a look at it and also go to the Missouri Botanical Garden, mo, M-O, dot, bot, B-O-T, dot org, and see if, they've, you know, if they can give you some kind of formula for mixing things up. And now let's head okay. over to, to Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Uh, yes, I'm trying to find out. I understand I'm supposed to use pre-emergent both in the fall and in the spring. Correct. And if that is true, is, do you, is there any particular kind that you recommend? Basically, if it's a pre-emergent, it's a pre-emergent. So no name brand or anything else. I don't think there's one. As long as it's formulated for being a pre-emergent, it should be fine, whatever you get. In the spring, we use something called HALTS. Is that a pre-emergent? Uh, I think it might be, but I'm not positive. I, you know, I, I mean, okay. I... Okay, so the last application in the fall and the first one in the spring should be a pre-emergent. Yeah, the pre-emergent, basically, you're putting down this month, you know, for oh, now. The, for the yeah for the cool season weeds for the hen bits and the you know that kind of stuff so that's what oh. you the cool season weeds are what's going to be germinating real soon so that's oh, going to okay. be the annual okay, so. bluegrass and the chickweed and things along that line. Then if I put the pre-emergent down now, do I need another application of something else in the fall? 
No, this is basically the to get rid of the cool because some of the cool season weeds seeds could be germinating right now. That's why mid to late August is when you put the pre-emergent down for the cool season weeds. Great, thank you very much. Certainly, and just realize that you cannot put down uh, lawns, you know, grass seed because it kills anything that germinates. Now let's go to Rick. Hi, Rick. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I've had a really good year with my grape tomatoes and my full-size tomatoes, uh, but I don't get much uh, edible fruit until like after the 4th of July, trying to come up with a, a shortcut. Can I, if I just take some of the seeds from that fruit that, that I'm harvesting right now, Will that automatically germinate into a viable plant next next late next spring once the weather you know once the weather warms up and that kind of thing? Well, no, I would say don't do that. I would say buy the plants you know as plants had already been germinated. But look at a you know maybe early girl or something. That may be giving you fruit a little bit early. But understand that tomatoes take like ninety days from the time they're planting before you're actually going to start getting any tomatoes off of them so so therefore what you're saying is that mid mid july early to mid july is not not late no it's not at all but you know again take a look at early girl and see that may only need 60 days as opposed to 90 days to be producing you know fruits that are going to be that you could harvest and it doesn't necessarily do any good to do something from seed, no. you know, under under a lamp or any of that kind of thing? No, not at all. It's still, I mean, it's just, this is genetics, you know, of the plant. It's just like, you know, apples on apple trees and everything else. It takes a long time before you're going to start to get production out of these things. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for the advice. Sure. And now let's go over to Roland. Hi, Roland. Could you do it kind of yeah. quick? Yes, Mike. Uh, a lady called in earlier about her oak tree dying on one side. She might want to check to see where her gas line coming to the house. Ooh. <clears throat> excuse me. Comes in because if it's got a gas leak in that line, <clears throat> it'll kill the tree. That's true. I didn't even think of that, but I mean, I know that's something that's been, you know, that's happened to several people over the years. Okay, Mike. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're going to be able to take another call because we're kind of running out of time. But again, this is the time of year to, if you have a lawn service, talk to them about putting the pre-emergent down. It doesn't have to go down today, but I mean by the end of the month because these, you know, the hen bit, again, the chickweed, the annual bluegrass, the prickly lettuce, the speedwell, that's the Persian speedwell, rabbit's foot clover, shepherd's purse, those are all things that the seeds have been laying there all summer long. They dropped in the springtime when it started getting warm and a little bit before that. And now they go, yay! The weather's starting to get cool, and we're going to explode. So just watch out. This is pre-emergent time for those particular weeds. Now, things like spurge and the crabgrass and all that other barnyard grass, and, well, not crabgrass, crabgrass, yes, but uh, those, you know, that's when you have, you put the pre-emergent down when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. But now, cool season annual weeds, if you've had a problem with them in your landscape or in bed spaces, 
In bed spaces, think about using a product called Preen, but just use a classic pre-emergent in your lawn areas So because it's going to make a big difference. Also, how you care for your lawn is going to make a big difference as well. So everybody have a great day. It looks like uh, maybe we're not going to have any rain. So I will see you next week. Good gardening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.